0: It's
1: all just drag. You know who to ask. It's the Drag King cast. Hello, welcome to the Drag King cast.
0: It's me, John Trevolver. No Santa this week. And me, Luce Willis. Sadly missing Santa, but also very happy to see my good friend John Trevolver again. How are you, buddy? I'm alright. <laughs> Santa actually told me to say to you that his gift to you this year is... Me being back to record with you. Oh my God! My Christmas wish came true. I I didn't. I wrote it on a piece of paper and I put it on um, under the uh, windscreen wiper on the front of my car because I wasn't sure if Santa. I had left it too late and I hadn't written a letter, um. So I wasn't sure if Santa would know that or not. But I'm really glad that he did get it and he did get my Christmas wish, to carry on recording a podcast with my best friend. So that's great. Money would have been nice, as well, but Friendship is better than money.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like friendship trumps capitalism.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Till we can get the banks to accept it as As currency. currency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, but we we have it, so that's fine. It was your Christmas. Pretty chill. It 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 was kind of quiet, wasn't it? I mean, I was also pretty solo this year. It's usually pretty pretty crazy at the Willis household, you know, it's just me and like 50 babes that I meet after the peck show. And they're like, Oh, Liz, loose. God, let us come to your house. And I'm like, Hey, come on. You know, babes, I can only take like five of you to my house. And they're like, no, take all of us to your house, lose, please. And I'm like, okay, well, you're being pretty aggressive. You know, you remind me of my mom kind of, and they're like, Oh, that sounds like something you need to work on. And I'm like, yeah, well, why do not you help me work on it, baby? Yeah, come on. Flawless. But, uh, not just me this year, just, just me reflecting, thinking, you thought some good stuff what what's
1: your reflection what's your new year's resolution
0: well it's a lot I mean I just think this year I've been really focused on my body you know and I've I've always had like the body of I've always wanted you know I, I people you know people know me for having a certain great appendage you know so and that's great and that's what to make the money from Santa, but yeah, I think I've been staring at that so long that I've forgotten that there's actually a man attached to it. So I think this year is going to be about improving the man on the other end of, of that. Yeah. totally, totally.
1: Yeah, I mean that's weird, man, because that's Did pretty I call much you, Santa.
0: It's oh, weird. Don't to... worry. Don't you
1: worry. You look a lot like him. I think. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's in the eyes. I think it's in my kindly eyes, my mm. piercing blue stare that Santa like, you know, very penetrating stare. Looks into your soul. Mm. I would never penetrate. I'm a, I'm a good feminist. My feminism doesn't allow for penetration, you know? And that's kind of what I want to work on this year. <laughs> penetration? No, you know, I want to I wanna turn that gaze on myself. Oh, you know, I want to look at myself in the mirror every yeah. day and just kind of think about how bad men are, you know? Yeah. I want to look at myself in the eye and think, you can't. You're you know? a bad boy. Aren't exactly. You? Exactly. The
0: and then just self improve, self improvement every day. You know? Yeah, I like that. You look at yourself in the mirror, you just really trash talk yourself, break yourself down at the start of the day, yeah. and then only way up from there.
1: I want to break myself down so that I'm like a mulch, right? I'm like yeah. a mulch, a man mulch. And then from that mulch, it can rise like a phoenix, the sort of the phoenix of a feminist mind, you know, I love that. from the ashes of my own cuntishness.
0: Mulch is also great for fertilizing other things. So it's really a selfless endeavor. It's what you're doing.
1: Yeah. And I can fertilize other men with my mulch. You know, I feel like I can dish out a wee bit of mulch to like any man I come across. I'm like, hey, 2021, year of improvement. Have some of my mulch.
0: Would you mulch me? I'd mulch you, man. Do you want me to mulch you? when we're next in person which I don't know when that'll be but yeah just save save a little that mulch for me I'll put a noey pile in the corner for you man I love you I love you too and uh, I know some of you will be thinking just just to clear the air just before we go I was talking a little bit about my penis earlier in case you didn't get the reference and we're on episode three now and we're getting so many messages, so many DMs all the time, being like, loose, how big is it? Well, just to put the record straight here and now, my dick, okay, just so you don't have to DM me anymore, okay, just saying this right now, my dick is so big. It was not big it's more cosmically vast so incomprehensible in its size that like a man staring out at sea into the never-ending ocean if you gaze into the abyss for too long you will drive yourself insane so i hope that clears things up for a few people out there i comfortable with myself my body my friendships comfortable with 2021 let's go let's go john let's go loose Katie, I am a drag king called Lewis
1: I'm Jody. I'm a drag king called John Travolver. And what a bizarre time <laughs> to be alive!
0: <laughs> what is happening? I don't know, sweet Jody. I don't. I don't know. We're laughing a lot because I think we're mildly hysterical. <laughs> um, I feel
1: hysterical, even though my fe- my feminism has like banned yes true use of hysterical but hysteria is all i have i feel i feel so on edge we should say we should explain what time period we're in currently this
0: is like a little time capsule so they they announced here for yesterday yesterday yeah yesterday and it's so weird thinking because when they announced it the literally the week before we had just done a three-night run of a show at the Pleasance, sold out show, back on stage, back live for the first time. And then I was watching Mm. the kind of tier four announcements and being like, literally a week ago, it was fine to be in a building performing live for people. And now things have escalated a lot or they haven't escalated. And just the government's been downplaying what's been happening. Who can say? Um,
1: (laughs) Who could possibly say? I mean, Is there evidence that the Tories probably lied and downplayed and risked lots of people's lives? (sighs) I think so.
0: You know, maybe. (laughs) Just so long as they get that sweet Christmas spending money in the pockets just to get all that. Make sure you've got your Christmas shopping done and all your food bought for the five day Christmas you're going to spend with your family. Oh, oh, we've got the money now. Okay, bye. Stay inside. Yeah, I I just
1: can't. Fucking Tories, man. Like I support safety measures all the way. Lockdown all the way. Support, support. The Tories have stolen Christmas, though. They're like the ultimate Grinch. I know. At least the Grinch is Except like... their hearts will never swell yeah. five times because they don't have hearts.
0: How I was going to say, yeah, it's hard to think about what it was like performing now. Because I was going to ask you what your reflections on kind of being back on stage live in front of an audience doing drag was. But that feels like such a long time ago, even though it was only a week ago. But how did you no. feel about it?
1: God I mean I I fucking loved it. Mm. I mean I loved I loved being on stage with you. Yeah. And I it's so special. And I I loved it. I adored it, but it also felt so bizarre. I mean cuz well, obviously we were very covid safe and we we discouraged people from whooping during the show, which that's a weird is something one. that yeah, the <laughs> energy is so different when you're being safe, you know. Yeah. It it was a very big sacrifice. To make. I mean, a necessary sacrifice, Absolutely. but a very difficult one to deal with because it does change the energy of a show. And we a really appreciate that.
0: the love the audience gave despite not being able to yell and scream and clap like they were. Well, they could clap. <laughs> um They could clap, they yeah. could stomp, they could make noise, but quiet noise or put a mask on if they were going to make noise. But yeah, you realize how much with cabaret and particularly, I guess, with the drag kinging that we do, you're so used to kind of really rowdy, really rambunctious crowds and then to go to a smaller crowd obviously because everybody's safe and socially distanced and everybody's Mm -hmm. more reserved and everybody's more anxious to be out of the house because a lot of people it was the first time kind of coming out and seeing a play or seeing something a gig wise since February yeah it's it's bizarre it's (laughs) it's bizarre wonderful I mean the pleasants where we performed were amazing like everybody was they were so compliant, the rules were really followed, it was so clean, all the staff were amazing. Yeah. But it was still really weird. I kept. Yeah. It felt very dystopian, <laughs> to even
1: just having the knowledge of the context of the wider world while we were doing the show. I mean, I, I love how much it meant to people. Yeah. So many people talked to us afterwards and said how much it meant to them and how much they needed that. Yeah. Um, but it's also a very difficult thing doing a show about Christmas in the context of this year and I I think we did obviously I think we did it very well. But Of
0: course we did. You know
1: you and I did our Santa and Lou stuff and you were sitting on Santa's COVID safe knee and it was a stool that was two meters away
0: you know (laughs) whereas in previous years (laughs) I would have been able to climb up on that lap of yours and snuggle into you but um
1: yeah we would have had a little cuddle We got a little
0: cuddle on stage just to keep us going until the interval and then we could have had a separate cuddle but we can't um but we did the we did the best we could with the minimal cuddles that we were, no cuddles were allowed. We weren't cuddling. We weren't touching. Yeah, we weren't looking at each other. We
1: weren't. I <laughs> we didn't. Didn't even give eye contact. But don't you think it was weird? I was thinking about this afterwards because actually, so much of um, the kind of dynamic of um, people that are performing masculinity on stage, a big part of performing masculinity is taking up space, and actually, we tend to stand closer to each other than mm-hmm. we would yeah. as ourselves. You know, yeah. when we're ourselves, we don't stand as close to each other as we do when we're That's men. That's true.
0: Yeah. And we, um, it was interesting with the dance routines and stuff of like how much when you want that kind of boy band dynamic or kind of group gang dynamic, you're all kind of like taking up space next to each other and making big postures and everybody's so much closer. And how so many of the dances that we've done a lot of times in other shows, you just have to rethink them all and rethink them all yeah. how distantly that they need to be now and how to still convey that um kind of group dynamic but yeah further and apart.
1: also i feel like a lot of um power dynamics between men play out by um asserting asserting more power in that dynamic by like holding someone on the shoulder or patting them on yeah. the back or do you know what i mean yeah definitely and uh, that that just can't be there at the moment so I feel like I learned quite a lot yeah about stuff that we were doing subconsciously that's beforehand.
0: I was kind of I found myself I find it hard with performing anyway because I it's one of those things you just you know you lo- know you love doing and you you know you're doing it because you want to be there and you want to do it but also I I always have a thing of almost when I go on stage, I kind of black out and I don't really remember what I'm doing until, until it's too late and the show's over. But I found with this one, when I was first back on stage, I was like, oh, I'm so back, I'm feeling it, I'm dancing, I'm giving the audience eyes, I'm giving them face, I'm loving this. And then it got to like halfway through the show and almost it's like I kind of snapped out of it midway through the show and I'd be like, What am I doing? What the actual fuck am I doing here? I'm on stage, like, naked in a leather jockstrap, wearing a stupid (laughs) wig on my head. Why? I was wondering if it
1: was that bit.
0: In the middle of a pandemic, breaking a gingerbread man on my head. Why am I doing this?
1: (laughs) You were doing it because that was some of the best art that's ever been on stage. Everyone needed to see... You lip-syncing to death metal about Christmas being cancelled. Everyone needed that. Never doubt yourself. Thank you. It was, and that jog strap was gorgeous. Thank you.
0: I rhinestone my. That was a good thing about being on furlough for a lot this year. I could bedazzle so many of my um, my jog straps. I had a shiny shiny crotch this year versus previous matte crotch years. So that was yeah. one good thing. That was gorgeous work. Thank you. It really really caught the eye. Yeah.
1: Exactly. <laughs> And anything that passed in its vicinity, <laughs> every contour, it, it, it had its own
0: magnetic its pull. Its own
1: gravitational pull. I was gonna say, yeah, it something hefty. it was. Yeah,
0: it was. Um, yeah, I'd say I put pictures on Instagram, but I'm too shy, so you had to have been I think there. You'd I think you'd get banned? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Instagram is not friendly for people who like showing their leather-clad genitals on Instagram, but. Um,
1: I guess this is going out when is this going out? Twenty eighth. Be...
0: Of December? Yeah.
1: Okay, so a couple a couple days after after Krimbo, a couple days before New Year. Mm. Well done everyone for getting through. Well done.
0: Well done. You did it. You're nearly there. Twenty twenty one, it's gonna be the year. <laughs> it's gonna be the year. You know
1: what? January first, everything will instantly be
0: better. <laughs> I'm holding you to that.
1: Um, uh, you know why because we'll be one year closer to being able to vote the Tories out again yes
0: very true very true um on a more uh positive note I think mm. we have a really nice uh 'cause because it was Christmas and we wanted to get you a little something so we got you um an interview with um a wonderful drag king called Bo Jangles didn't we Jodie didn't know what else to get you so we thought we'd get you the best thing ever
1: (laughs) we didn't know what you would like but like everyone loves Bo so we knew that it would suit everyone to hear an interview with them
0: Bo is amazing Bo is a kind of singer in the style of like a 1940s crooner but they are very funny they have so much modernity and intellect mixed in with their act that they do. Um, they're just lovely and they're wonderful to talk to, and I really like them. <laughs> that's,
1: yeah, that's, we just think they're brilliant. I mean, th- that's what this show is. It's just us getting to chat to people that <laughs> we think are incredible performers, and then passing it off as us being nice to you in some way. Yeah, but it's for us. Yeah, really. exactly. It's for us. Yeah, thank you for indulging <laughs> us. Um, but yeah, Bo is part of a drag family called The Family Jewels, who are fantastic.
0: Fantastic. So something that's happened since this interview with Bo Jangles is they are now in, um, this is an amazing sentence, the premier drag king circus collective and called The Feathers of Daedalus. I think I'm saying that right. And they have a Kickstarter currently for fundraising for a film around fucking circus skill drag kings so go on a beaus instagram and find that and give some coin if you can because that's amazing
1: oh that's so fucking cool circus
0: drag kings we're taking over every industry cabaret that's circus banking we'll get there
1: will? we'll get banking next we'll get yeah. that. that's the important one <laughs> once we get that watch out like that teller has a surprisingly <laughs> large jog strap on are those real diamonds <laughs> yes they are (laughs) (laughs) welcome to the bank of daddy (laughs) now you get to listen to our interview with drag icon bojangles plus a wee bit of chat while we wait for zoom to
0: actually work I feel like I owe um, you an apology anyway because I realised like, listening back to all of the, um, well, not all of them, but the, the things you've listened back to so far, that every time you bring up a topic, I immediately like derail it to talk about whatever, like, random VHS I've watched this week. So I
1: don't think you do that. I think <laughs> you have a beautiful mind.
0: <laughs> that sounded like a backhanded compliment. <laughs> I don't actually think you do that. I think that we're both very tangential. I feel like I, you must I go feel on, like on tangents constantly. constantly. I think you're dating, like, a really boring man who just, like, <laughs> goes on and on about things you don't really care about. Please, um,
1: please, we're not dating.
0: <laughs> exactly. No, I don't Lauren, feel like don't that at all. <laughs> yeah. I don't well, feel well, like that you. at all. But I thought, like, I would, I would make the effort this week to talk about something that we both like. Um, which we discovered this week when we were just texting each other as we do, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. a certain special TV show for best friends, about best friends called Jackass.
1: Oh yeah. And let's sit we'll focus on the early years before the like terrifying grief that's in to oh, Bam Gerald. But I just oh, yeah, I
0: don't like him.
1: I've never liked him.
0: You don't like
1: Bam? No. I love Bam.
0: <laughs> is Bam your favorite one?
1: Okay. I wouldn't say he's like my favorite one, but I tell you who I don't like.
0: Who? Johnny. No, that's sacrilege. That's I don't like him. I don't I think, like him. I'm the Johnny Knoxville of PECS, I think, which you know. Yeah, but
1: you're like a you're like a, a cool, queer, nice, unproblematic <laughs> Johnny Knoxville. Whereas Johnny Knoxville himself. Oh no. You know he's not I'm brandishing around words too much. He's not problematic. I just think he there's something about him that just really annoys me. Like <laughs> he's like he's like the annoying, like overly pranky neggy friend. Whereas what I love about Bam is yes, he's destructive. Yes, poor Phil, and I've forgotten his mum's name. he put up with a lot of April. shit. Yeah, Phil and April. Yeah, but I just love him, and I love I love the quiet desperation to belong behind his eyes. I love his little goth laser.
0: Really, yeah. When he was really into the band, like him, and he would put that little heartogram on like all of his clothes and everything. There is something quite like yeah. make me part. I don't know. No, Bam is my worst one. Bam is like Bam but, is.
1: But Bam features in the early Tony Hawk's PlayStation Two games as well.
0: Yeah, Bam was never that good at skateboarding either. I feel <gasps> like he was like always pitched as the skateboarding one when I don't think he was really capable <sighs> to do a flip or anything. How could you? He built his own skateboarding place in his backyard. My favorite part of Jackass is when they make Bam Bamaya cry when they make him look at snakes. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, when they put him in the pit with the snakes, I fucking loved it. Poor little Bam. Oh. Bose here. Hi, hey. I'm very excited by the red room that you're in as well. Like, there's a very nice color <laughs> yeah, I mean, like,
1: scheme with the pink shirt, it's really satisfying.
2: Ambient well, this glow. is actually like a bright red, but because I've got like I put a red scarf on my lamps because I like to sort of cultivate like the <sighs> inside of a womb.
3: In oh my <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's much easier to cope with lockdown if you reframe it as just like a further gestational period. Yeah, We're just exactly. gestating in a womb a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah, I like
0: that. Like, yeah, <laughs> I've been going full like Batcave, but I think that's probably more like natural, organic, warm, safe. Well, thank you for yeah. allowing us to join you in the... In your warm, <laughs> safe place. I feel your- like
1: my my room, it's just so monochrome. Like yeah. I think it looks a little bit like a coke dealer's
0: apartment, and I really need to fix that. It's a. Uh, I think it looks by. like if you, it was in a ho- in a horror film or like a thriller where like there was they were tracing back like the clues and they got like a tip off of like oh this the apartment's at like you know one two three fake street and they get there and the room is like completely gone and there's like a single phone. <laughs> yeah, on the
1: wall. just <laughs> they're like, why is there this single Pex Drag Kings poster on the wall? That's yeah. so strange. He was here the
0: whole time. Um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, um, can you remind me of your pronouns?
0: So I'm used they them. I'm happy with any pronouns. Yeah, but so cool. they them she he fine by me. Awesome.
2: Um, they or she when I'm out of drag, and then he in drag.
0: So. Sweet. Perfect. Bojangles, Jangles, he is a drag king. Is he? You prefer drag king, drag thing, drag artist, or yeah? Drag king, drag,
2: drag artist. King. Either, yeah. Sweet.
0: So one thing we've been starting um, the podcast off with is if. Uh, people hadn't seen Bojangles before, Um, could you give us a little visual description of what Bo looks like when he's performing
2: okay, am I allowed to swear?
0: absolutely, we actually
2: (laughs) have a
1: we have a cunt quota for this programme oh sick,
2: right, right, let's let's hit it (laughs) (laughs) We'll get there, we'll get there. I believe in this.
0: I thought you were just going to be like, what does Bo look like? Like an absolute cunt?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I always describe him as like a vintage fuckboy. Vintage
0: Mm. fuckboy, I love that. Oh, that's so satisfying. (laughs) And accurate. So what's he wearing? What's he look like? What's his vibe?
2: So... Bo is, yeah, he's a vintage fuckboy. Um, he is, I guess if you don't know me, I am black, um, for all of all of you who might not know. Uh, yeah, sort of light skinned black guy, bringing some of that like problematic light skinned black dude energy, like you might have seen from Anderson Pack or the cast of Love Island. Mm. Um, but, but with an old school manner, you know, he's suited, often might wear like the tails and the you know, bow tie and the hat, or like you know, the standard suit and little moustache. Um, quite a sort of smooth, suave guy. He mm. has all of the laid-back ease and just, you know, takes up all the space but I don't dare to in the day-to-day. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that's that's Beau.
1: Yeah. And what kind of, um, like, what's a classic Bo act? Like, if we were going to see Bo perform, like, I know you do a lot of singing. Is that your sort Mm. of staple for the kind of act that he does?
2: Yeah, so um, Bo is a live singer. Um, Like, his character is, he's kind of like a jazz singer. He kind of travels around and, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, And I also throw in a bit of inverted commas comedy, um, which is kind of based on, I don't know if you've ever heard any old recordings of like Fat Waller or Louis Armstrong, where they just yeah. chat shit. Yeah. chat shit. And it's like, what are you saying? And there's all the time and all in the basement. And then what, what was his name over there? We had grits. It's like, what are you saying? <laughs>
0: That thing of being like so, so charming that you could just kind of stand up there and talk about. It's like, oh, and then I walked down and I saw a man in the street and then everyone's just like, oh. And someone's just playing like a sweet saxophone riff behind them, like on an ongoing beat for ages afterwards. Exactly. And then there's no point or punchline. You're just like, oh, I'm so glad I'm here with you right now being (laughs) being told this.
2: That is the vibe I hope to curate.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And you do so successfully. It's that Ah, kind of rat pack thing of like, it's that kind of slightly... um ultra masculine thing as well of they're kind of ribbing each other but there's also this kind of like rivalry there of like wanting to be the guy that with the best quip or the best like chirping with the lady in the audience kind of vibe. exactly
2: yeah yeah there's that weird match of competitiveness but they're all friends yeah <laughs> yeah frenemies
1: i think the first time that i ever saw you perform was at man up so i'm so it's been sort of like a joy being able to then see you outside of that context because obviously the competition. I don't know how how that was for you, but competitions are so intense. My mm. only experience of them is doing stand-up competitions, which is obviously <laughs> devoid of the queer energy that you have in a a <laughs> competition. Mm. But um, how was that for you? How did you find? Because you were a finalist, you did so well in it. Oh how
2: yeah, was thank it? you. Yeah, it was wild. It was weird. Kind of having to take an act meant for like a small kind of cabaret vibe where you know it's like you're in a normally in a basement or you know there's
4: yeah. uh and it's
2: weird having to have taken that to like such a big venue um with I don't know a lot of quite visual out there acts and sort of wondering if you know my chatting shit and singing a song would like translate mm. um but yeah it was it was all right because there was just like the one heat and then the final <laughs> so you know it wasn't like kind they of, get like, things done of, like yeah, yeah it wasn't like a rocky montage where I had to like, get into shape or anything like that um, what
0: would Beau's rocky montage be just like chugging glasses of whiskey and like yeah. trying on different hats and like exactly. <laughs> hitting animals yeah. away with a saxophone
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah trying to walk, run up the steps and like making it up too and then just
0: yeah stopping for a fag yeah Yeah.
2: yeah, (laughs) um yeah that would be the montage but yeah no it was um it was weird um but it was it was cool because all the other competitors were so lovely like there was no like weird competitiveness like Mm -hmm. everyone was just like lending stuff to each other and like you know having a chat and it was it was a really sweet vibe backstage so yeah that's, that always not makes nice.
0: yeah. that's the kind of as you say the queer joy removed from like stand-up things where everybody is literally gunning for your <laughs> has your throat in their hands whereas, like I think it was with drag performance it's that thing of like seeing every you can kind of see how different you are to every other performer it's I think there's so much diversity on the um circuits like you might be doing on the same gig of like you doing quite an intimate club act with someone who would just like staples things to their body versus someone who is doing like 10 minutes of stand-up like so there's really no competition there's only like I I, I get to watch all these great people do their thing
2: yeah it's incredible to see like just the variety like I think drag kings and drag things in particular just I think because it's not as not as well known it's not as in the mainstream we can just take it whatever direction we want and we don't have such a pressure to adhere to a certain standard which means yeah. that we just get to have so much more fun. Yeah.
0: yeah. Also, having said that, Beau is very like classically handsome. Like I think you do do a lot of like very oh, good like um, <laughs> male contouring um, on your on your face. It's like he has a very like chiselled chiselled look. I would say.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The cheekbones could cut glass, um, <laughs> <laughs> and that is all cosmetics. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of energy sometimes with Beau in that I get a lot of quite in- intense people coming up to me after I've performed, telling telling me how hot they find Beau. Uh, and I'm really like, as soon as I'm off stage, I'm just really awkward about that kind of thing. So you mm. can't like,
0: stay in character. You're just like...
2: I just sort of say thank you and get out of there. Like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if I'm on stage, i we'll would be like, thanks, I'll see you later after the show. Ha <laughs> ha, my face or yours kind of thing. But yeah. like when I'm off stage, I'm like,
1: I'm exactly the same I think because John is so loud and Scottish people are always often quite angry when they hear my English accent as well I think <laughs> people get quite people feel really oh, yeah. really yeah they really get upset Scotland, yeah but then I have to it's like you have to explain it then I have to be like I grew up in Scotland my entire family is Scottish I had the Scottish accent then I lost it and then people are like they're happier they're like okay Yeah, like the free drink is away by then, you know.
2: (laughs) Uh, No, because Bo's American Mm. and I'm not. I actually have a green card, but I was looking into how to give it back. Um, (laughs) um, And I haven't been there for so long that I think they might have just taken it back by now. I don't know. But um, yeah, so I've had. It's very flattering. I've had a couple of Americans come up to me, i like, hey, whereabouts in the States are you from? Uh, that was really shit. That's not our sounds. Or, hey, where in States are you from? <laughs> hey, buddy. Um, it's, and I just have to be like, oh, mate, um, like, uh, <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, because he's from the 40s, I get to mm. use the excuse that the accent was a bit more transatlantic. Mm. Then, if yeah, if it slips a bit, so yeah.
0: You're very Daniel yeah. Day Lewis of drag. You're like, this is a historical <laughs> accent. This is like, thank you. Yeah, regional <laughs> study of how he's from New Orleans, is he? From, yeah, yeah, I think I've heard you say that before. Yeah, um,
2: yeah, he's from New Orleans. So I just, I don't know if I'm. Doing I don't know New what Orleans this is. Accent, but...
0: I know you're but... saying no- New Orleans. And New Orleans, yeah. Once you get that, you just everybody's
2: like. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I, mean, <laughs> I also do an American accent in drag, but I have I have never established in canon where my character is from. America, so. But then Luz, you know, he's out and about. He's like he's about. transient. He's yeah, exactly. he's it's picking fine. up accents, he's picking up, yeah, whatever, all kinds of things.
1: Yeah. I did once attempt to do John as like a car- like a character without um actually dragging up. Mm. And that was quite interesting. It's quite interesting doing like a a male persona in a non drag context because it really freaks people out. It's a bit like when you go home on the tube with a beard still on and people you know how people get
0: really stary. Yeah. Do you travel um, in drag at all? I I always I never feel comfortable enough to to do, I do tend, it really. I tend
1: not to, but then when when we were doing like longer shows last year because my partner is also in PEX, it was like safety in numbers so we traveled <laughs> we traveled home as a the drag couple
0: with yeah, big yeah, black yeah. Beards.
1: <laughs> just, two, just two little floofs in our beards <laughs> on the <laughs> jubilee line and uh it was quite funny because actually because lauren looks um like ve- like very feminine and even in drag has like a very ge- like genderqueer look has a very like camp look mm. um she gets stared at a lot more because people read like read her as um like really gender fucky and they get freaked out Mm. by it whereas i i can sit in drag next to her and if she's with me people don't really look at me at all i think they're just like why is that like weird boyfriend like you so much (laughs) (laughs) bearded girlfriend
0: you're all right mate but this guy this one you're with (laughs) not
1: sure about this one so interesting how do you feel about it
2: i try not to travel in drag Mm. um but sometimes, like sometimes it's really late and I just want to get home, like I have, and like my local falafel shop, they used to see me in drag, out of drag. They're always chill. They were like, hey, buddy. <laughs> um but once I was like coming home after my 3 a.m. falafel with my stash on, <laughs> two huge guys are just like, hey, hey, hey buddy, I was like, shit. I was just <laughs> I was like uh. picking up my pace, like clutching my falafel mm. wrap to my chest. Uh and then like I had to like walk past them and I was just absolutely like terrified and then they Mm. were like nice mustache buddy and I was like Yeah, thank you, thank you. That was terrifying. I
0: love when like street harassment has like a happy ending. Like I've I've also had people like come up to me like very aggressively. I was like, I was when we went to do the fringe, and I think I was like just walking, and I just stepped around a corner. I don't think I was in drag. I think I just had large glasses on, and like this man like (laughs) stepped like in the middle of my path and was like, "Hey!" And I was like, "Oh my god!" He was like, "Really like your whole look. Keep keep going, thanks." (laughs) And they're just like.
1: I'm like, are you unaware of of the context of all men
2: like, <laughs> like, stop I had that. a really sweet one the other day I was on my way to a gig I wasn't in drag I was just in like civilian clothes and mm. there were these, this group of like these teenage boys and when I walked past like one of them was practicing his MCing, oh. and the others were like being so supportive it's so oh cute And
3: then they were like hey
2: hey as I walked past I was like oh oh no they've forgotten what, what's happening and mm. one of them was like i like your drip and then one of them was like i love your drip," and the third one was like i adore your drip." and i was oh, god, so oh, my god! competitive
0: compliments
2: i and, know yeah. they'll still win. find a way to be competitive yeah,
1: yeah exactly get that toxicity in there even in a beautiful moment
2: i know <laughs> yeah. i didn't mind it though because they're falling over themselves to tell me how cool my like fit was so yeah
1: yeah acceptable oh, totally acceptable <laughs> how um, have you found cuz you're saying you're on your way to a gig how have you found like doing drag in the pandemic cuz i've seen you've put like lots of videos up of your acts on instagram and like non binary cabaret quite a lot as well which yeah, is really, you've been really doing cool loads of stuff how's it been
2: um yeah, it's been weird because <laughs> at the beginning when like digital drag and like online gigs were a thing I was like how how the hell do I translate a guy from the 1940s online <laughs> like it's already weird yeah. enough that he has an Instagram like yeah. Yeah. yeah um but yeah it was it was all right like I got over it and because I'm, I'm one of those people who on a zoom call my eyes always like gravitate towards myself mm. um, it's a bit like narcissus in the pool so <laughs> I quite <laughs>
0: so slowly headbutt the camera and... <laughs>
2: yeah so I quite liked being able to see what I was doing in real time because it kind of like I was really... doing a
0: yeah cool yeah. positive that I hadn't really thought about like I feel like the, yeah. it's one of those things like the early stages of my drag career I always wish I had filmed myself more and like when you see yourself on film you're like I can't believe I was doing that like why mm-hmm. do my hands do this why am I why are my shoulders like this and it's like you can make so many like self-corrections and improvements by viewing yeah. yourself definitely
2: exactly it's like being in a dance studio without the mirrors and that like mm, totally um, so yeah no I, I found something. that was I did one gig where I couldn't see anyone, any of the people watching it. I had no idea who was watching it because it was like hosted on this Vimeo thing. It was literally oh, me weird. and this tech guy called Tom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I don't know who's watching it. And then The Guardian reviewed it after. I was like, oh, oh my God. Good I didn't I know think. who was watching it. Oh <laughs> But um, yeah, and then like doing live gigs again um, has been weird because people aren't allowed to whoop. Or cheer
3: vocally, mm.
2: um or sing along or anything so it feels very sedate it feels yeah. kind of like yeah it's it's weird in like queer kind of cabaret spaces um no. yeah. yeah but it's nice to be having a, like a live audience again
0: and the fact that yeah people still even if they can't they, with all these restrictions people still want to be there and they want to support like queer artists and non-binary people and everything i think that's I mean, yeah. you got to go out and do it for them, haven't you? If you're going to do it for anyone, like
2: yeah, it's, it's yeah, it feels really nice to be back live again. Have it's you been so, finding it
0: all right, Jodie, with the uh, low word?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, it's weird doing stand up to like a sea of people whose mouths you can't see. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Are they allowed to laugh? They can laugh. Yeah, just, you're
1: allowed to laugh, but I they mean, just we just don't
0: when you're on stage.
1: We <laughs> do. They don't laugh at me. I'm just awful. You little shit. <laughs> I That's think it's fine. time for our first cunt of the night. <laughs> um.
0: yeah, I'm sorry, weird. you're very funny. I'm just in a cheeky mood today. <laughs> Thanks, Daddy. I know you love me, really. <laughs> I'm got to yeah, keep
1: rejecting you so you work harder for later podcasts. I can't have a dad that doesn't reject me. It would be wrong. Um, I. It's just weird. It's weird that people... I guess it's the energy thing, like with the the whooping and and singing along. I mean, I, singing along is is less applicable to a stand up gig, but like <laughs> I would be fucked off if people started singing along, but, like um, mouth it,
0: speaking along with some of your famous jokes. <laughs> yeah, just
1: getting the punchline in there just yeah. before. But it's 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 strange how much lower the energy is. I guess it's it's almost a useful study for after. I guess because it's made me reflect more on how energy works in that space, which sounds really wanky, but it's like it, it is really hard to have a good show when people can't sit next to each other and, and mm. can't be loud and, and can't... Um, yeah, I think it's difficult. People relax when they can hear other people enjoying. There's something yeah. interesting about, like, the group psyche of an audience where they, they really won't relax and laugh more if they can't hear other people around them laughing and enjoying and I, I guess it's the same at a cabaret, like people can't give as much love to the performer if they don't have the reassurance of hearing other people around them enjoying it as well. So that aspect of it is difficult, I guess. But the yeah, half absolutely. a face thing freaked me out a lot less than I thought it would because it's a mostly queer audience. They were all really trying to convey with their eyes that they were enjoying it quite intensely. <laughs>
3: It's really winking enjoyable. constantly.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's either a twitch or a wink? Good. I
3: don't know.
2: Um, when you said half a face, instead of thinking about like the face coverings, I thought of like Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why my mind was there. I was just like, why are you performing to like Phantom of the Opera?
1: I'd love that. Reason. That would be
0: so camp. <laughs> <laughs> so if we talk about what Bo, what you because you sing like a lot of you with, with the Bo character you sing like a lot of modern pop songs usually or kind of more contemporary music and often it's like with a like a female artist so someone like i've seen you do like britney spears toxic and um i saw a great version of um wet pussy the other day yeah. um, <laughs> so like what do you find that you kind of unlock in these songs by doing it in a, in a male character um
2: sometimes with like toxic i flip it so because he's quite a toxic dude though so it's the whole thing is like I'm toxic she's slipping under mm, um mm. and it kind of and especially the line about she took a sip from my devil's cup works so well like when you're grabbing your crotch mm, um course. Dude, yeah <laughs> <laughs> but, um also I think because I do them more like in it with an old school style some songs just Pop songs are great and just by like slowing them down you get a lot of the messages and the lyrics you might not get when you're just bopping along to them at like a normal tempo. Mm. Um or things like Hotline Bling, which I do a lot as well. You can hear just how awful Drake is, just mm-hmm. slowing it down <laughs> a little bit. Um and yeah, I think with with um WAP, I didn't, you know, gender flip it, I didn't Slow it down that much. I think I just had really like a lot of fun with it, and yeah, the surprise of the audience just seeing this like dapper 1940s dude just like um you know singing very passionately about like
0: the dangly thing at the back of your throat. The
2: dangly thing at you know (laughs) parking the Big Mac truck right in that little garage. Oh, it's just such a joy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, such a joy.
0: So do you have quite a muso ear then? Are you kind of like classically trained in music or singing or, yeah, yeah. nodding shyly? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: That's so impressive. Um, yeah. I'm a classically trained singer and I did music GCSE. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> oh. yeah <edXL>. what? Um, <laughs> So Take that, yeah. Tories. Yeah, exactly. something else, yeah. Yeah, so um, I think... The classical singing, I've had to, I mean, it's a different style when you're doing jazz, so I have to like almost ignore a lot of what i would actually learned, but I think it's helped, definitely. Yeah, no, I love that old school, like, blues and jazz, like, Billie Holiday is like my Mm. favourite artist Mm. of all time. Um, I actually have like a, you know, the Saints candles? Like, I have yes. one with, like, yeah. Billie Holiday on it, and I always light it if there's been any <gasps> white nonsense. Like, <laughs> that's so good. Yeah. Obviously love modern music and love old-school music, and I love, like, bridging them with bow. bringing Bringing the old-school stuff to the kids. To the kids. <laughs> <laughs> I think
0: that's what's quite interesting about the character, is because it's, like, he's quite sleazy, but he's. I feel like there's probably a bad version of a character like that somewhere that's just, like, I'm from the 40s and I'm being... Really like antiquated and like I don't understand this, and so I'm going to be really vulgar or really like you know what a man from the forties would be. But like I feel like because you have that blend of classic and modern, it's almost kind of commenting on a lot of a lot of what we still believe is <laughs> very antiquated. And yeah, you know, it's I think it's there's that kind of like looking at nostalgia with a way of not just being like oh I'm singing a pretty song and that's it, but it's actually like blending all this really cool modern non-binary queer energy into it which is fun.
2: I think there are elements of Bo which are very problematic and I think specifically his approach to women like there's a lot of jokes about how he's not always the best of women but I think as um as an artist who I guess yeah who is not a cis man like making those jokes like everybody's in on it like ah oh, aren't these kind of dudes the worst mm. whereas you know a lot of cis male comedians make jokes about how men are the worst but it's like but i kind of feel like you're the worst too yeah, yeah it's like, like you
0: don't get a point mm-hmm. for like pointing out
2: yeah if i can't eat feel or like spend this energy you're giving me i don't i don't need it um, yeah but yeah so i think he's he's he can be a little bit antiquated in that way but in in a way where everyone's like in on it but i think also like as you said oftentimes like i'll sort of do a bit where i'm talking about something framing it as if it's from the 40s and then, actually no this is still happening now and mm, it hasn't yeah. been done enough but it really yeah.
1: is. look all right <laughs> was that <laughs> always your was that always your intention with beau because i know you sort of um you perform a lot with the family jewels and yeah. i i know that i've developed a lot and i've checked my act has changed a lot because i've been working with pecs like have you experienced that or was beau sort of fully there from the off
2: yeah a bit also like shout out to the family jewels
0: Mm. shout out to the family jewels
2: and of course like the family jewels and beau are peck's children as well we can't
0: forget that well Mm, joni and i were talking beforehand and it's like we obviously want to bring up that there are drag children but then also it's like how do we do it without being like so talk about how great we are for five (laughs) minutes (laughs) (laughs) yeah how's
2: it going um yeah so you know Bo and you know all of the family jewels were born out of the Pex drag camp and yeah as a result we thought about like gender in quite an interesting critical way when when you know conceiving our characters and um I think Bo yeah from the get-go I wanted to do that kind of stuff with him I wanted him to be a bit political I say that like always as like a queer person or as like a black person like it's always inherently political whether you like it or not mm-hmm. um but I, yeah I wanted to sort of lean on that I think I'd seen before I came up with Bo. I'd seen Five Guys Named Mo? Is it like the Marble Arch Theatre? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, all of my white friends are telling me to see it, and I went with my sister, and I was just like, oh, I'm actually finding this really fucking offensive. Like, I feel like we've got all the worst stereotypes about black men just on one stage together. Like, you've got the drunk guy who's awful to his girlfriend, Mm -hmm. surrounded by five tap-dancing genial dudes who are completely sexless and just exist to entertain. And, Mm -hmm. like, I think all the... Like white people in the crowd were laughing it up and my sister and i were just like they can even oh. think of
0: like five stereotypes they had two and then they were like we'll repeat the second one oh, yeah, three yeah. times
2: <laughs> control c control v, yes. control v, control v. <laughs> it was that and like oh my god i kind of came into pex drag camp with like having seen that and the one redeeming part of the show was when they slowed it down and did this really lovely um version of louis jordan's is you is or is you ain't my baby mm. um which almost had nothing to do with the rest of the show but like it was just really beautiful and so the first thing that i ever performed as beau at the end of the drag camp at, at like the showcase was is you is or is you ain't my baby um Interesting. So yeah, that's that's oh. that's how it went
0: very proud of your son um i would say it's Well, could you um would you mind telling us a bit more about um mangrove as well um Mm. your uh, is it still going on that you it's yeah regular night and uh, regular space yeah
2: at the moment it's being supported by the chateau Mm um r.i.p although they very much still exist like online and they've got things in the pipeline but um I used to love performing in that sweaty basement so much the team the team are just so lovely um yeah really good vibes and I have my I used to have my night there as well um Royal Roost back when when it was open before times uh, before everything but um yeah so they approached me and um Laurie um from the chateau approached me about doing like an online kind of listening space for black um, trans, queer and intersex people. Um and so I sort of took brief and kind of took ages to think of a name I liked. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, took inspiration from um it was while I was working on a British Black Panther act that we'll never see the light of day because um I'm I'm done with digital drug and I can't do it. Uh, it's too many costume changes to do it live. <laughs> yeah. um, I was like, Laquan, now I'm Althea Jones now Dark as Hell. Oh my god. Um, yeah. oh my god. Yeah. Um, and I
0: only have one line of lip sync to convey it because then I have yeah. to cut the track to be under five minutes. Like... <laughs>
2: now I'm Enoch Powell. Now I'm, yeah. um, so it was while I was doing that, I was like, oh, I know, like, you know, the Mangrove in Notting Hill was a place where all these black radicals and just black people in the community would come together and chat and it would be like a bit of a safe haven it was constantly raided by the police you know mm. same shit different day um and you know it sort of started the mangrove 9 Public trial and things like that, and I was like, let's take mangrove but queer it yeah. so that A in mangrove is like an X. Yes, uh, we should
0: that. if you're looking it up. Yeah, mangrove with an X. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Someone called it months grove, and I was like, oh. yeah. I, as someone who has dyslexia, I like feel the, the pain of people <laughs> trying to read it. But um, yeah. no, yeah, it's it's been. We've had had the third session last night, um, and it's just literally a space where people can turn up, and you don't have to come every week. You can just come one week or not the other or whatever. Um, and people can just make the space whatever they want and we've had just a lot of people using it as like a safe space to just have a bit of a rant about you know white supremacy and and, um, you know transphobia and um, you know just chatting about just different like oh how do you cope with you know work situations or like I've got family members who like just won't don't get this yet. Um, and it's it's just it's it's a really nice sort of if I if I say so myself a really nice kind of cozy space where I just sort of sit back a bit and just help ease it along but let other people kind of decide what to bring and yeah it's yeah. open to any black trans queer or intersex person who wants to join in.
1: That's amazing and well done for setting it up as well because I I know you're you're saying like if I say so myself but I think. <laughs> It's so hard when when we all know that those spaces sh- should exist anyway. It's hard to acknowledge the amount of like emotional labour and energy it takes to set up that space when it doesn't pre-exist. So like well done for doing oh, it. Thank you. In the like <laughs> spoon-sapping pandemic, I think yeah. achieving anything
0: <laughs> is very impressive. <laughs> anything that brings yeah solidarity and community as well rather than just like mm. getting out of bed in the morning is definitely, yeah,
3: <laughs>
1: lovely.
0: So we've we've got a little like closing
1: segment that we've been doing with everyone. Um, and we call it the drag it corner. And it's basically uh, a little space. If there's anything that's, it can range from annoyance through to rage that you've experienced <laughs> recently that you want to just have a bit of a rant about. We've created the drag it corner for any Ooh. ranting to take place. Even mi- like mild dislike is also acceptable. Mm. We'll give you a moment to ponder though, because I realize it, it does put people on the spot. Mm we can maybe we could play ele- elevator music in this bit we could edit out <laughs> this bit where we chat and just play elevator music
2: yeah I mean that's something we don't have elevator music anymore where did that go that's really yeah, really <laughs> <sad>. you know <laughs> really I have actually only once been in a lift where I've heard lift music um that's and I know dr- actually the I more I say that, that the more I'm annoyed about it yeah let's go with <laughs> that drag it <laughs> cut, drag it drag it <laughs> I'm I'm dragging any lifts that don't have lift music, and maybe it's because lifts are quicker at the moment. Maybe, it. but I, for one, would have it brighten up my day to just go said, into a lift and hear the Garth Marengo.
0: You said very specifically that you've only ever been in one lift with music before. Can Where you tell me lift? what the, yeah what this lift was and what was playing?
2: Okay. Picture it. The year t- yeah. I can't remember what year it was. Um, I was. 13 so it was 13 years ago so 2007 um and it was in Las Vegas <laughs> the kind of place where you would have lift music yeah. yes yes um,
1: can you remember yeah. what it was or was it just generic
2: I didn't appreciate it at the time Like I didn't mm. stand in that lift and be like yes, this is what all lifts should be like I, I took it for granted to be I honest I don't
0: realise what you've got until it's gone, <laughs> until
2: it's gone. <laughs> and now that I've just been reminded that lift music is a concept um, I'm actually really gutted, I mean I'm glad we don't have the people in the lifts whose job it is to push the buttons, yes. I've actually been a lift yeah. with one of those people before, it's fucking weird it's Oh that's so
1: uncomfortable, Especially and where was that? Running. I want to get, I think you should be like lift of the world, this is the <laughs> lift wow. car yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> lift Well, it's not like you have the lever things where you like. Shut oh, when they the do door, the with like, the proper like, lever like crunk kind of bellhop. Business. But yeah, anyway, lift music—that is what I will.
0: You, what you want to do. drag?
2: More, more lifts should have music.
0: Yeah, I feel that. Agreed.
2: I'm happy to just have it be me as well. Like I don't. I'm, I'll oh take on this. Yeah,
0: <laughs> you could be like the voice of elevator music. Step inside, bojangles.
1: That GCSE is going to pay off, my friend. I know, <laughs> it's you your know, time to shine.
2: My shit piano chords. Yeah, just Get a amazing. little here in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> they
0: don't me even record it. It's just, just
2: me physically in the lift now, yeah. like not even yes. a recording. Just omnipresent in all yeah. lifts across the land.
1: <laughs> the god of lifts. I mean, they're so scary, though, lifts. I feel like a bit of music would make them a lot nicer, considering mm. they're a small space you know after the pandemic there'll have to be multiple people in them again which I'm not looking forward to we have to turn and face the wall in the lift at work
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> really so you don't breathe on each other I know it's necessary but that is also really funny it's yeah, like you're all in the dunce corner <laughs> <laughs> you think
2: about just, what you've done.
1: <laughs> yeah turn around <laughs> I had my first job out of um like when I had like a weekend job at school, when I was 16, I worked at Cambridge University Library as a book fetcher. And they had this tower, that had like a lift that I swear hadn't been changed since like the 20s or something. It was like a proper Titanic-esque, like with the grill that you pull across. Oh, wow. And then just like a normal a normal door that led to it that you had to unlock with a key. So you unlocked it with a key, opened the normal door and then pulled the grill across, went in and closed the grill. And if anyone else unlocked one of the normal doors on the 14 levels while you're in the lift, it would
0: stop. Oh my God. How would would just get be stuck, stuck there. there?
1: I got stuck in there twice one time I had loads of books with me perk of the job so I did just read books (laughs) which is great our only other question for you is where can we support you like do you have a patreon is there anything else you want to shout out that you're doing uh what your handles for people to follow you all that jazz
2: yeah, so my um, Insta handle is at Bojangles Drag and Bo is spelled B-E-A-U in the French way. Yeah, I mean, through that, um, I've got, you can see my PayPal if you want to send me money, uh, always welcome. And also um, me and my partner, um, shout out Emmanuel, are working on an anti-racism comic that we sort of started dreaming up in, in the summer. And the sort of GoFundMe is closing soon, so if you want to chip in and help people to learn about systemic racism, because still a lot of learning to be done, that's there. Um, yeah, just also anyone who wants to join Mangrove, if you're black and queer, come along. Yeah, those, those are my things.
0: Amazing. So lovely talking to you.
2: You mm. too. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> oh, we, we love you. We love you. We love you.
1: Do you fancy a wee bit more queer culture during your Christmas holidays? I know I do. Luckily, it's time for Victor Victorious to bring back Queer History's Fashion
4: Edition. Imagine, for a moment, that the vibrant, exciting, exciting, boundary-breaking, queer-subversive fashion we see around us today was actually always there, across time and across the world. I'm Victor Victorious, and this is Queer Fashion Histories. So I'd like to start this week's segment with a quote by Valerie Steele, the foremost costume historian of our day. When referring to the queers of the past, Steele said that Because of the oppression of deviant sexuality, gays and lesbians had to be hyper-aware of how to read and analyse clothes so as to dress in a way that would allow them to communicate with other people, but not to be recognised by a homophobic society. For me, Steele expresses perfectly the subtle, and in modern times often very overt, queer language embodied in what we choose to wear. And this is something now widely accepted in the modern West, this idea that picking clothing, and expressing personal identity are synonymous. We accept that colour, cut, and fabric all say something, whether we mean them to or not. Take, for example, Miranda Priestly's iconic monologue in The Devil Wears Prada when she educates her indifferent assistant on the complex origins of her lumpy cerulean sweater, probably one of my favourite moments in modern popular cinema. Something slightly less central to this narrative in a historical context is the identity and sexuality of the very people who made and designed those clothes that we deem so central to queer identity. And so I come to the subject of my rumination today. Charles Frederick Worth. Born in 1825 and primarily active from the 1860s onwards, Worth is known not only as a famous Victorian English fashion designer, but as the father of haute couture itself, the first in a modern lineage of gay couturier. And it wouldn't be right to embark on a telling of his story without giving you an idea of the luxury he was famous for. So allow me to give you a little description of one of his legendary creations. I've chosen a dolman gown made in 1885, which is currently held in the Victoria and Albert Museum collections and is aptly described on Google as an artwork. The outfit is a stunning scarlet and constructed from an overwhelming amount of sumptuous fabrics. The shape is intricate right off the bat. The bodice portion is shaped like a half-length cape with sleeves and is made from brocaded silk velvet, edged with decorative lace and adorned with glass beads. It even has large tassels stitched down the front to finish off this elaborate effect. The skirt is plainer, but no less striking for it as it falls straight from the waist to the floor in a shimmering satin that flares out into a train at the back. It's obvious that the materials used were the finest, but it's the extreme attention to detail in the design that makes this outfit a couture piece rather than simply high-end. And as a costume maker who frequently works on elaborate pieces like this, I can say with confidence that such a gown would have been incredibly time-intensive and technical in nature. It's hard to describe its magnificence in word only, so I'd urge you to look it up. I'll put a link in the show notes for you. But now you have a simple idea of the majesty Worth is famous for, we'll crack on. Like so many of our queer historical heroes, Charles Worth had a traditional family made up of the obligatory wife and children, and probably a golden Labrador if we're following a strict theme. But if we took these circumstances and abstracted from them that Charles Worth must have been an 100% gold standard heterosexual, then we would have very few queers in our history, even less than we already do. Now, I am not saying by any means that Charles Worth is part of the narrative of queer fashion just because he was a man making women's clothing, or that he was potentially gay. That would oversimplify things a lot but the way that he slots into the story is quite complex, so bear with me as I try to explain it. I feel like language is a good place to start on this one, because I think it can be easy as modern queer historians to force a narrative of queerness on unsuspecting historical victims where they don't necessarily belong. But by looking at the contemporary language used to describe Worth, we can understand him in his own time, as his fellows saw him. In a range of sources, including fashion magazines and pamphlets, customers' diaries, letters, memoirs, and public journals of the day, Worth was referred to as the man milliner. This emphasis on his gender when referring to his occupation is significant, because it shows that there was a real preoccupation with Worth's maleness, but also because it shows us that the presence of a man in this sphere was new and out of the ordinary. And it really was a departure from the norm. From the late 1600s onwards, dressmaking became a mostly female occupation, and this segregation was seen as appropriate and becoming to female modesty. With this in mind, it would be easy to suggest simply that Worth's encroachment on this female sphere was objectionable because of its inappropriateness, because of the sexual potential of having a man in an intimate feminine space, and the danger this could pose to female modesty. And it's totally true that this was a concern at first. One commentator at the time worried over the potential sexuality of relations between a man milliner and his lady client, whose bosoms he caressed in a manner that could hardly be decent. Enter a prime example of heterosexual fear. If this is where the concerns about Worth had ended, he wouldn't have made it into this series. But as Worth's fantastical sartorial creations continued to grow in popularity, so did societal panic. And these worries morphed into something much more complex than a fear for female moral corruption. Interestingly, the sexual element of Worth's engagement with his clients remained at the heart of the criticism surrounding the couturier, but for exactly the opposite reasons commentators started to remark on the implicit nature of the man-milliner. For example, in Charles Dickens' February 1863 edition of the journal All the Year Round, he asked this of his readers. But would you believe that, in the latter half of the 19th century, there are bearded milliners, man-milliners, authentic men, who with their solid fingers take the exact dimensions of the highest titled women in Paris, Robe them, unrobe them, and make them turn backward and forward before them, like the waxed figures in hairdressers' shops. This question, and the statement of disbelief implied within it, expresses the dichotomy that critics believe Worth represented. Basically, how can this man be so involved in this intrinsically female activity of dressmaking, and be so intimate with his female clients and their bodies, if it doesn't have a sexual element? What does that make him? Is he still a man? The author Abigail Joseph talks about this in the book, A Wizard of Silks and Tule, Charles Worth and the Queer Origins of Couture. Joseph explains that Worth became so threatening to the gender status quo because he created a new species of relations between male designer and female clients. Intimate but non-sexual relations conducted not through the rituals of courtship or the demands of marriage, but through the ritualistic demanding process of crafting luxurious objects. In other words, Worth embarked on relations with women on his own terms, relations that didn't fit within the traditional heterosexual framework, and so he was an unwelcome anomaly. As the London Society put it in 1875, the career and position of this artist are more bizarre and singular than those of any adventurer. Questions began to arise over what these strange relationships suggested about Worth's status as a man, and they stemmed specifically from his lack of heterosexual licentiousness. Critics focused on the characteristics that donated Worth as other, in particular his unerring focus on the singular importance of fashion, his adoration of sumptuousness, beauty and finery. These interests were seen as strictly feminine, and so Worth's indulgence in fashion saw him denounced in Harper's Bazaar as a most pronounced poser, whose affectations were extravagant almost to grotesqueness. A male journalist and observers seemed persistently irritated by them. The memoirs and letters of his female clients confirm this idea that Worth was engaging in a non-sexualized way with women and focusing on their dress and image rather than their bodies. One woman recollects how, in a state of dire emergency, she was accepted into Worth's very own boudoir, the most intimate space, where he proceeded to drape her in the finest fabrics as he willed his designs to come to life. But this memory resolutely focuses on Worth's attention to the task at hand and not the body. He comments on the shape and style of women on a regular basis, but with no sense at all of sexual interest or advance. And even where he is commenting on his female clients, the women concerned are not simply objects, but were willing agents in that process, equally invested. The problem then, for the rest of male society, was that Worth created an alliance between himself and his clients that excluded heterosexual men. And the fact that these relationships were so detached from sexual interest cast Worth himself as of dubious sexuality and masculinity by committing himself to the pursuit of beauty through fashion and by working directly with women and their bodies in a detached way in order to do this charles worth was swimming against the tide of hegemonic victorian masculinity whether he meant to or not so no his case isn't so clear-cut as designating him as of queer sexuality or encroaching in a female space worth is more nuanced than that because through his work as a couturier he queered the very meaning of what it was to be a man in that time and paved the way for the queer designers of our future. I'm Victor Victorious, and this has been Queer Fashion Histories.
1: I'm absolutely beat from absorbing all of this beautiful queer culture. So it's time for The Bedtime Story with Izzy Mine.
5: Hello there. I'm Izzy, a man, and this is your favourite sexy story time. Thanks, Izzy, and hello, drag fans. I'm Isabel, and this episode, I've got a treat for you. Anaïs Nin was a French writer born in 1903, most famous during her lifetime for her diaries, but it's her erotic writings that caught Pex's imagination back in 2014 when we were putting together our show at the Abbey Tavern in Camden. Delta of Venus, which is Nin's collection of sexy short stories, was written at a dollar a page for an anonymous client in the 1940s. She is widely regarded as one of the best and first published writers of women's real desires and was doing so at a time when mainstream erotica was almost exclusively the domain of men. Picture this. It's 2014. Izzy, a man appears in a silk robe before a rapt audience, sits in a large armchair and sensuously flips open. Delta of Venus. Lilith. In a state of high fever and high tension, Lilith went to fetch Mabel. She did not dare confess what her husband had done to her, putting Spanish fly into her coffee that evening. She remembered all the stories that she had heard about Spanish fly. In the 18th century in France, men had made great use of it. She remembered the story of a certain aristocrat who, at the age of forty, when he was already a little weary from his assiduous love-making to all the attractive women of his time, fell so violently in love with a dancer who was only twenty years old that he spent three full days and nights with her in sexual intercourse, with the help of Spanish Fly. Lilith tried to imagine what such an experience might be, how it would take her at some unexpected moment and she would have to run home and confess her desire to her husband. As she sat in the darkened cinema, she could not watch the screen. Her head was in chaos. She sat taut on the edge of her seat, trying to sense the effects of the drug. She pulled herself up with a start when she noticed, first of all, that she had sat with her legs far apart, her skirt up on her knees. She thought this was an expression of her already growing sexual fever, She tried to remember whether she had ever sat in this position before at movies. She saw the parted legs as the most obscene position ever imagined, and realized that the person sitting in the row in front of her, which was set so much lower, would be able to see up her skirt and regale himself with the spectacle of her fresh new panties and new garters that she had bought only that day. Everything seemed to conspire for this night of orgy. Intuitively, she must have foreseen it all when she went to buy herself panties with a fine lace ruffle on them and garters of a deep coral colour, which were very becoming to her smooth dancer's legs. She brought her legs together in anger. She thought that if this wild sexual mood took hold of her just then, she would not know what to do. Would she get up suddenly and say she had a headache and leave? Or would she turn towards Mabel? Mabel had always adored her. Would she dare turn to Mabel and caress her? She had heard of women caressing each other in the movies. A friend of hers had sat this way in the darkness of the movies, and very slowly her companion's hand had unhooked the side opening of her skirt, slipping a hand to her sex and fondled her for a long time until she had come. How often this friend had repeated the delight of sitting still, controlling the upper half of her body, sitting straight and still while a hand was caressing in the dark. Secretly, slowly, mysteriously. Is this what would happen to Lilith now? She had never caressed a woman. She had sometimes thought to herself how marvelous it must be to caress a woman. The roundness of the ass, the softness of the belly, that particularly soft skin between the legs. And she had tried caressing herself in bed in the dark, just to imagine how it must feel to touch a woman. She had often caressed her own breasts, imagining that they were those of another woman. Closing her eyes now, she recalled Mabel's body in a bathing suit. Mabel with her very round breasts almost bursting from the bathing suit. Her thick, soft, laughing mouth. How wonderful it would be. The movie came to an end. The next morning she awakened weeping. Her husband questioned her she told him the truth. Then he laughed. But Lilith, it was a prank I played on you. That was not Spanish fly at all. I just played a prank on you. But from that moment, Lilith was haunted by the idea that there might be ways of arousing herself artificially. She tried all the formulas she had heard about. She had heard about small balls that were used as an aphrodisiac in the East Indies, but how to obtain them, where to ask for them, East Indian women inserted them inside the vagina. They were made of some very soft rubber with a soft, skin-like surface. When they were introduced into the sex, they molded themselves to the form of it, and then they moved as the woman moved, sensitively shaping themselves to every motion of the muscles, causing a titillation much more exciting than that of the penis or finger. Lilith would have liked to find one, and to keep it inside of herself day and night.
1: You have been listening to the Drag King Cast from Pex Drag Kings. If you enjoyed it, then please donate to Pex's Patreon, where we will shower you with extra content like the royalty you are. But if you can't afford that, then please subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes because it really does help. You can also follow us on Instagram at Pex Drag Kings, on Twitter at Pex Drag, and on Facebook at Pex. The Drag King Cast is presented by Jody Mitchell, aka John Travolver and Katie Bulmer, a.k.a. Luce Willis. And you also heard from Vic Aubrey, a.k.a. Victor Victorious, and Isabel Adamarco young a.k.a. Izzy a man? DKC is produced by Katie Bulmer, Jodie Mitchell, and PEX's executive producers Ellen Spence and Daisy Hale. Artistic directed by Celine Lowenthal, and has music from Anya Pearson of Dreamnails. Nails, artwork by Emma Hayden, and photography by Ra Petherbridge. DKC is recorded live from our own homes because there is a global pandemic and you should all stay inside. Bye.